Welcome back, podcast fans. I'm your host, Annette Hines, and this is Parenting Impossible, the Special Needs Survival Podcast. I am so happy you're back with me today. I have to say I am just filled with gratitude with the number of communications that I get about this podcast and about some of the other things that we're doing. It makes me feel so good. It makes me feel like we are hitting our mark and you know, for those of you who don't know, who are just joining new, this podcast was a labor of love, something that I started almost three years ago now to just continue my mission of bringing information and support out there to the disability community. Whether you are a parent, a disabled person, a caregiver, an ally in the community, a professional, I wanted this podcast to be accessible and available for everybody and to bring topics of interest and to, you know, kind of uh, electronically give you a warm hug. So I hope that we're achieving that. And when our numbers continue to pop up and when we continue to get good reviews and some good messages back and forth and we're inundated with guests who would like to be on the show. It's just a phenomenal feeling. So I wanna carry that feeling through today. As we are approaching Father's Day, um, I've got three guests in a row who are dads and who are, you know, being men in the disability community in one form or another have a unique perspective. I mean, let's just say it, it's different than being a mom. And also, you know, I've got um, some topics that I'm touching on over the next three sessions that are about being a, a divorced dad, being a, you know, a dad in a, you know, step situation, all of those things. And I know that I tend to gravitate as do we all towards the moms. We think that the moms are doing it all and we, and I don't wanna meet, I don't mean to say that's universal we, but that's my, that's my handicap, if you will. That's, that's kind of where I live. As a mom, I naturally am connecting with other moms. But here's some unique perspective from the dads and from the men in our community. So um, today's podcast is probably going up there in my all-time favorites. I got to interview Ryan Rydzewski and um, he is the co-author of an amazing book. And when I, I know I say amazing a lot, but this is really amazing. It's called, When You Wonder, You're Learning. Mr. Rogers' Enduring Lessons for Raising Creative, Curious, Caring Kids. So I don't know if you're of the same vintage that I am, but I watched Mr. Rogers, huge fan of Mr. Rogers. I loved the lessons, the make-believe. Of course, I didn't know I was getting lessons. Um, I grew up in a you know, very poor community in some difficult situations for that time a uh, single parent. My mom was a single parent. Um, I have never met my dad. I 
don't know who my dad is, don't know where he is, have never had any context for fathering. Never had a stepdad. Um, it's a, a unique situation to grow up in and it was very unique in my neighborhood. I grew up in a very working class to poor neighborhood in Boston. And most of the families were moms and dads and we weren't. So that was different for us. Um, and trying to navigate that was, was challenging and unique and has left a lasting impact on me for sure. And has left a lasting impact on my parenting as well. So I watched Mr. Rogers and I went to the land of make-believe and just loved the imagination and the creativity and the characters and everyone was just so nice and nobody was stressed about anything. Mr. Rogers was just so kind and he was teaching everybody else to be kind as well. So I could not wait for this interview with Ryan. I loved the book. I thought it was so good. And it had this great combination of things in there. And I'm, I want you to read it. So I'm not gonna give you too many little hints about what it was like. Um, but um, if you saw the movie that uh, came out a couple years ago that starred Tom Hanks, you just get kind of the impression that um, behind the camera, Mr. Rogers was so, was just a force. I mean, he was just the most unusual person. And one of the things that I learned in reading this book and talking to Ryan that I did not know, even though I had seen the movie was um, that Fred practiced at being his character of Mr. Rogers every day. He worked hard at being that nice person, that, that community leader, that example for all of us. It, didn't, it wasn't just a natural thing that he just woke up every day and was Mr. Rogers. I thought that was so fascinating. And it made me feel so much better about myself that every choice I make can make me better and that I didn't have to be born this way and born perfect, you know, and always knowing the right thing. If Mr. Rogers can be Mr. Rogers, then I can be Mr. Rogers. There was this great, um, at, during the time of the movie coming out, there were a lot of things going around the internet. You know, what would, what would Mr. Rogers do? And, you know, how would Mr. Rogers handle this situation? So you want to think like Mr. Rogers. You want to process a problem in a situation like Mr. Rogers. What would Fred do? I thought that was brilliant. I still think it's brilliant. And I hope that you enjoy this interview with Ryan. He's clearly so interested and excited about this topic as well. And the, you know, the Fred Rogers um, institution or the Fred Rogers 
enduring gift, I guess, is that he's still relevant. It's all still relevant. This is really, you know, where we want to live. And it is so pertinent to the disability community because very often we don't feel seen in our neighborhood. We don't feel welcomed in our neighborhood. We feel other. And Fred Rogers understood other and wanted to bring everybody in. So again, cannot recommend this book more highly. I hope that you will pick it up if you haven't read it already. One of the beautiful things um, about this interview is that even the interview changed me. <laughs> and I, I literally left this interview and I cried. I cried after I got off with, with Ryan because relief just washed over me. So I hope that you um, really love this interview. I hope you love the book and I hope that you will reach out to me and let me know your thoughts and um, anything that you learned and that you would like to share. I would love to gather some um, comments and you know have another discussion about what would Mr. Rogers do? What would Fred Rogers do? All right, here we go. Welcome back podcast fans. I'm your host Annette Hines and this is Parenting Impossible, the special needs survival podcast. Okay. I'm going to try to contain my excitement. I am so happy to have Ryan Ridzeski. Oh, I hope I said that right. <laughs> On the yeah. show, he says yes. I've, I've been terrified that I was going to mispronounce his name, as I do sometimes. I, for those of you who've been following me for a long time, you know I'm dyslexic. So give me a name with all of these consonants, and I am just, you know, I'm going to say it, screwed. No. Um, <laughs> So I am so excited to talk to Ryan. He is one of the co-authors, and I know you heard my intro, um, of this just amazing book, When You Wonder. And it's all about Fred Rogers and the neighborhood and, you know, a lot of background. It's full, chock full of stories, which, you know, I love the stories part, but it's also got other good stuff in there as well. And Ryan, thank you for coming on the show. I'm super excited to have you here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm just as excited to be here with you. <laughs> I don't think his excitement is really as matched by mine, but that's okay. So <laughs> Ryan, as you know, from my intro is an award-winning journalist. And I am just really interested to find out how you got, how did you get involved and interested in this topic? Yeah, that's a great question. So I am a former teacher uh, and I thought I was going to teach forever. I loved being in the classroom. Um, looking back on it, it was really a magical experience. And I owe my students so much for the amount of, of patience and grace they afforded me being a, a young new teacher who had no idea what I was doing. Yeah. Um, but I decided I was, I was either going to teach forever or I was going to go back to school and give being a writer one more shot because that, that's what I studied in undergrad. That's what I wanted to do. I ended up in the classroom and it was great, but I figured let's try one more time. Um, so I moved back to Pittsburgh, uh, which as you know, is Mr. Rogers' real life neighborhood. Uh, it's where I live now. Fred created uh, Mr. Rogers' neighborhood at WQED 
which yeah. was the first community television program or station in the country. It's just down the street from where I'm sitting now. Oh, um, exciting. So yeah, Fred is sort of in the air. He's in the water around here. Um, and I was fortunate enough to, uh, as I was finishing my graduate degree, to start working with Greg Bear, who eventually became my co-author on the book. And, and Greg is the head of the Grable Foundation, which is a Pittsburgh-based uh, philanthropy that supports teachers and museums and libraries and families, basically anything to do with kids and learning in the Pittsburgh area, and a little bit actually in North Carolina. So part of our work is to figure out, okay, what are we learning about learning itself? Yeah. And how do we take those principles? How do we take those practices and present them in ways that are applicable and useful for the teachers and the parents and the, the educators yeah. that we support? So a lot of our work was learning about learning, you know, reading papers from the learning sciences at places like uh, the University of Pittsburgh, where Fred's mentor worked at places like Carnegie Mellon University, uh, which is right next to where Fred filmed the neighborhood, but also places all over the country and really all over the world. And what we discovered as we were reading these papers and going to learning science conferences and talking to some of the top thinkers, the people who know more about learning than anybody else on the planet, we expected a lot of science, a lot of jargon, a lot of pedagogy that was maybe above the two of our heads. Right. But what we realized was that they were speaking in very Fred-like ways. You know, they were asking questions like, how do we make sure kids feel safe? Mm -hmm. How do we make sure that kids feel that they belong to a community that cares about them? Right. And how do we make sure that, Fred, you know, as Fred liked to say, how do we make sure kids are loved and capable of loving? And, you know, the more we listened to these folks, the more we read these papers, the more it all looked like a script in Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. And we realized that's when we had a book idea on our hands, because if this is what learning scientists are saying is important today, and this is what Fred was doing 50 years ago in Mr. Rogers' neighborhood, maybe there's a connection there. Maybe we can think of Fred as more than a nice guy in the sweater, which he absolutely was, but maybe he was more than that. Maybe he was also a scientist. And we started looking for answers to that question and found out that is exactly what Fred Rogers was. He was also a pioneer. Um, he did so many things first and quietly and gently and sweetly. And one of the things, and I'm a, I'm a fan, you know, uh, I'm of a certain age where I got introduced to the show as a child. And it was the place where everyone was accepted you know, and we saw people of so many different abilities, shapes, sizes, colors, everything that you may not be seeing in your own community or your own neighborhood at that time. And um, as someone who later became a special needs parent, it was so important to me that there was this representation on television, but also not representation that like showed a spotlight on it, but representation that was just like, this is normal. This is part of everyday life. And here's who we are as a community. So, you know, I love, I love the show and I love Fred Rogers. And now lately we've been having um, what you call a Mr. Rogers Renaissance. And I think that's so appropriate. So why do you think that that's happening? Why have we had 
a biography and a movie starring Tom Hanks, who gave you a rave review, which I thought was <laughs> so cool. Um, Me too. You know, what, why is this happening? And then, you know, how does your book fit into all of that? That's a great question. Um, you know, why is this happening? I think part of it is just we missed the way, at a very base level, we missed the way that Fred made us feel, right? Fred's ultimate message to all of us was, I like you just the way you are. And we don't hear that a lot of places these days. We don't hear it as adults, kids, don't hear it really on social media. Um, the opposite of that has sort of become normalized. You're not good enough. Um, you know, you're not enough. Um, you don't belong. You don't matter. A lot of the messages that seem to be floating around and becoming really pervasive today. So I think on one level, there's a longing to get back to that message of, of just knowing that we're enough, that we're acceptable. But Fred used to say, you know, there are two reasons that he, he wanted us to know that we're okay just the way we are. One is, is for us. But the second is, he used to say that all of this is really, I'm, I'm going to mangle the quote a little bit. He said, how each of us comes to feel about our own uniqueness helps determine how we feel about other people's uniqueness, whether we become adults who celebrate the world's diversity or whether we fear and resent that diversity. And I think we're seeing a lot of that fear and resentment today. And I think part of the reason we wanna go back and know that we are acceptable just the way they are is because we want to affirm that other people are acceptable just the way they are. Fred was so intentional about who he was representing in the neighborhood. You're absolutely right. He made it normal because it is normal, right? To have people of all different colors and abilities and all different backgrounds and different backstories and different talents and talent and different talents and passions. Fred wanted everybody to be able to experience that. And he knew it in order to be able to experience that, in order to appreciate that, we mm -hmm. have to feel that message. We have to understand, we have to believe that message that someone out there accepts us just the way they are. And for 40 years, it was Fred who was doing that for us. Why now, is it so hard for us though, Ryan? I mean, it's so hard for us to get there. Why? That is a great question question. That is a great question. Um, I don't know that I have a good answer. Why is it so hard for us? I think, you know, on some, in some ways we are victims of our own design, right? We have some evolutionary leftovers that cause us to um, sort other people as friend right. and enemy. And we do that in, in many cases without thinking. In many ways, we do that unintentionally. Um, and I think without being conscious of that, without being aware of that, um, and without constant exposure to a world in which those false walls are broken down as they were in the neighborhood, um, we sort of calcify into our own communities. We relate to people who look like us or, or who have the same experience as us or who live in the same neighborhoods. We have a harder time relating to people who fall outside of those boundaries. And, and Fred, what he did every single day in the neighborhood, whether it was in the neighborhood of make-believe or was in Fred's living room or his front yard, he was always bringing folks from elsewhere, from other places into his neighborhood. And then he was going into theirs and we saw how much we have in common. Right. I don't know that we have that example in a sort of mass media uh, way anymore. 
Um, it's hard to think of, of similar places where I can say, well, if you turn to X, Y, Z, if you listen to uh, podcaster A or podcaster B, not including you in that, because I think you're doing, <laughs> I think you're doing very Fred-like work with your podcast, but it, it's hard to say, it's hard to point to one or two places and say, they're doing what Fred was doing. They're, they're bringing us that same uh, open community and open-mindedness and, and uh, acceptedness. I appreciate you saying that about our podcast. I'm going to really take that to heart. <laughs> a few minutes ago, you mentioned, and I think this, you know, this conversation we're having is kind of leading us in this direction of uh, how, how are some examples, um, sorry, what examples do you have of how Mr. Rogers used the science behind all of this in his neighborhood? Sure. And you talked about that in your book. And so give us some examples. This was one of the most fun parts of researching and writing the book, because once you understand the, the learning sciences, once you have a grasp of what it is that Fred was trying to do, you see it everywhere. In every scene, in every frame, you can see Fred making these very intentional decisions, decisions that were going to change the way we feel. They were gonna make us feel safe and they were gonna make us feel relaxed. They're gonna make us right. feel ready to learn. And it became sort of a process of elimination. It, it wasn't like, here's this principle from the learning science. Now I have to sort through 50 episodes in the neighborhood to find an example. It was, right. there are 50 examples just in this one episode. So how right. do I find the best one? And so I got to, as, you know, at an, as an adult, to watch lots and lots of Mr. Rogers, which was a really, <laughs> that's, really that's nice a way to cool spend job. my time. Yeah, <laughs> it was, especially in the bulk of the writing, you know, we did it in 2020. So in a year that was not great by any means to, to be able to spend some time in the neighborhood was, was really, really nice. Yeah. Um, but to give you some concrete examples of, of Fred using science and using it in many ways, uh, that was decades ahead of his time. Just take the title of our book, for example, When You Wonder You're Learning. So that comes from a song of Fred's called Did You Know? You might remember it. He sang it all the time. Did you know? Did you know when you wonder you're learning? <laughs> it's really a song. It's about curiosity. And it's about why curiosity matters so much as it relates to getting smarter. Now, so just set that song aside for one minute. I want to take you to a quote from a research paper from the University of California at Davis that says, curiosity may put the brain in a state that allows it to learn and return any kind of information, like a vortex that sucks in what you're motivated mm. to learn and also mm -hmm. everything around it. So in other words, when you're curious, your brain starts to take in information. Mr. Rogers was right. When you wonder, you're learning. Now, right. that research paper came out in 2014, more than 10 years after Fred himself passed away. Fred yeah. wrote, did you know, in 1979. And we have so many examples of Fred doing things that predate the science that backs it up by, in some cases, decades. Just wow. as a few other examples. We have, um, there's, there's a study that, that there needs to be a lot more work, but there's a preliminary, really interesting study about the impact of the color blue and how the color blue may boost our sort of creative tendencies. Scientists sort oh. of think, well, maybe the color blue reminds us of the ocean and therefore helps us relax and therefore we're able to be more creative because we're not being so self-critical. Now, if you go to the Mr. Rogers theme week, Mr. Rogers talks about curiosity, or I'm sorry, about creativity. 
He walks in talking about creativity, wearing a blue sweater against a blue wall. He's got his blue window behind him. He's got a blue tie. He puts on his blue shoes. It's almost like he knew yeah. what it, and the interesting thing about that example is Fred was colorblind. He couldn't even see the color blue. But I this did not know you, that. Yeah. The, so this just shows you how intentional he was about studying with some of the top psychologists, the top pediatricians, the top psychiatrists in the world, all of whom happened to be working in Pittsburgh at the exact same time. So Fred was taking what he was learning from these folks and he was blending it with stories and songs and even his wardrobe to eventually build what became Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. He was so intentional. He really wanted to get it right. He was. was there and, and anything? You... Go ahead. Oh, I'm sorry. sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> I was just going to say when you when you when you watch the neighborhood, it at first glance can strike us, especially as adults, as a really sort of just simple children's television show. Fred walks in the door and he talks to you for a little bit, and then we go to the neighborhood and make believe, and then we come back and then he tells us what we saw. We talk about it a little bit. Right. It's sort of simplistic on the surface. But once you realize, again, that every frame, every word that came out of Fred's mouth was grounded in some sort of scientific principle, it becomes clear how much work went into every single scene, every single episode of the neighborhood. Yeah. Uh, the fact that Fred was able to create one episode to those incredibly high standards would be impressive. Fred wrote almost 900 episodes. And on top yeah. of that, he wrote 250 songs and like 13 operas the level of work and intentionality and revision and high standards that went into Mr. Mm -hmm. Rogers' Neighborhood is, I think, a very underappreciated aspect of, of Fred and Fred's legacy. Well, to that point, in your research, did you discover anything that actually surprised you? <laughs> I did, yeah. A, a lot of things surprised me. Uh, well, the first thing that surprised me is, like, I thought like I think probably every other journalist thinks when they do a deep dive into Fred's life, that you're gonna find something not so Fred-like, something that ruins the magic of Fred. And first of all, like that thing doesn't exist. Now he wasn't a saint. In fact, Fred's uh, wife, Joanne, wrote the foreword to our book and in it she writes, no one worked harder at being Fred Rogers than Fred Rogers himself. So. Fred wasn't a saint, but what you saw on screen wasn't an act either. It was a practice. Everything he did was the result of these daily choices he made and these careful methods he applied. Um, he was so intentional even about his own life. And I think the degree to which he took being Mr. Rogers seriously mm. um, is probably the most surprising thing I learned because I, I assume, you know, he just walked on stage and he, he was himself. And that is what he did in one sense. But in another sense, he was just as intentional about who he was in real life as he was on television. So Fred used to get up at 5 a.m. every single morning to give himself a few free hours. And what he would do in those few free hours is think about, okay, who am I going to see today? Who or how do I want to make them feel? And how am I going to do that? You know, he would write to people. He would pray for people. Uh, and then he would go for a swim, which was an act of kindness toward himself and toward his own body. And then he would have breakfast. And he was a vegetarian, which was an act of kindness to the earth. And then he would go to his office and he would answer letters, sometimes 50 to 100 letters every single day, which was an act of kindness to his listeners. So yes, Fred was this amazingly 
kind human being who we should all admire. But we should also, and I think this is what surprised me, like Fred had a regimen. This was a practice. It was something mm. that didn't necessarily come easy to him, but he committed every day of his life to being the person that children, and in many cases, adults needed him to be. Ryan, that's so interesting because that is mentorship, right? At the, the, the biggest level, because we need to know this so that we understand that some people are just not naturally born this kind and everything comes easy to them that he had to work hard and make choices every day to continue. And I love that you call it a practice. How did you get involved with Joanne Rogers? How did <laughs> that come about? I mean, what a, what a gem to have, you know, have her write the forward for you. It was, um, and I can say this for both Greg and I, it was, it's the honor of a lifetime to have that. Um, to go, I get a little emotional when I talk about it sometimes, like to go from being a kid who loved Mr. Rogers and who lived for Mr. Rogers' neighborhood, to grow up from that to be an adult who then gets to write a book about Mr. Rogers, who then in the process of that gets a forward from Joanne Rogers and gets yeah. to work with some of Fred's closest friends and confidence and confidants and, and staff members, many of whom are still in Pittsburgh and still doing amazing work. Um, it's, I feel like I've become part of the neighborhood myself in, in a way that I never set out to be, never thought I would be in a way that I can't, you know, I'm, I'm so grateful for it. I can't imagine it any other way. Um, so Joanne, um, when we had this idea you know, uh, when we realize, well, what if we think about Fred as a scientist? What if, we, what if we think about Fred as a learning scientist who was decades ahead of his time? This was about in 2018. And, mm -hmm. and Joanne Rogers was still with us at the time. And uh, so we called her and said, hey, uh, first of all, thank you for everything that you do, because she was such an amazing steward of Fred's legacy. Second of all, we had this idea. Um, does it sound right to you? Like, it, does, and she, right away, the answer was yes. It, it was just yes to everything. She was such a champion for us. She was such a champion for the book. She was a champion for everything Fred did and everything Fred stood for. Um, and in many ways, like having that blessing, I think is what allowed us to write the book because how in any other way can you set out to do justice to someone who has touched as many lives as Fred did? You know, I, I was terrified. I'm still terrified. The book's been out for a year that I'm going to mess it up somehow, right? Like the weight of that responsibility is, uh, we feel it immensely. Um, and so to have the blessing of the person who knew Fred best, to have her say, yes, this is great. Please write this book. And to have her offer what I think is the best part of the book, which is the foreword, um, it, uh, it, it defies explanation uh, how grateful I am for it. It's um, my only regret is that um, Joanne passed away about three months before the book came out. Um, oh. So we were not, we were not able to hand her uh, a copy in person. Oh gosh. I did not but, realize um, the timing of that. Yeah, oh, it was, it was, it was fast and unfortunate. Me too. Me too. We lost, you know, she was an amazing person in her own right. You know, aside from being Fred's amazing wife and steward, she was a great concert pianist and really a funny person and a, just mm -hmm. an amazing advocate for for children um so we certainly feel her loss but i think 
you know, I said earlier that Fred is in the air and the yes. water and the atmosphere here. I think, I think Joanna's too. That's awesome. I hate to keep using that word, but it really is. <laughs> it is awesome. Yeah. I am, no other I'm learning so much from you just talking to you. Um, I'm really curious because you've definitely really gone all in on Fred and, you know, the Fredicisms. How has writing this book and publishing this book and promoting this book changed you or changed your life in any way? Yeah. People ask us that a lot. Um, and my answer to that is always sort of evolving. I think first and foremost, um, it has changed the way I, I comport myself, I think, in public um, mm -hmm. and in private. Um, I, it has just changed me as a person um, because how can you, um, and you, I mean me, how can I, how can Greg, how can we write a book about this person who works so hard to be the figure that we need? How can we put a book out of the world and then not try to do that ourselves, right? right. How can we not try to live up to that example? Um, that in one way would not be doing justice to the legacy of Fred and what it means to so many people. Um, and I think the, the reason I'm able to, the reason it has changed me is most more than anything, it has made me, I hope, um, a better listener. Fred, um, you know, in the book, we talk about concept called deep listening. And deep mm -hmm. listening is this idea that you listen to people without judging their feelings or rushing in to fix their problems. I think before I was quick to tell, quick to do two things. I was either quick to tell people, you're wrong to feel this way and here's why. Or I was quick to rush in to try to fix things because I hate to see people, I think we all hate to see people in pain. We hate to see people suffering. And so, so often when people, you know, a friend or a partner would share problems, my first instinct would be like, well, here's what you have to do to fix it. You need to do X, Y, Z, even if I didn't really know what I was talking about, because I just wanted to offer something. What I did not realize until I started studying Fred is that the best thing I can offer, and in some cases, the only thing I can offer is just an uncritical ear and, and, and just being there and being present. Uh, and so that's what I try to do now is just try to listen and know that, you know, I don't have to fix everything. I don't have to correct anybody. People will figure their problems out on their own if they have someone who's willing to listen to them and, and make them feel as Fred made people feel that they're acceptable, you know, regardless of what they're going through, they're acceptable in just the way they are. And I think mm -hmm. deep listening is one, one way to do that. It's, it's, it's the primary tool I've learned from Fred. Wow. Thank you. That's, uh, it's a very hard thing to do. And it is, it, it's, um, it's so uncomfortable most of the time to listen to people's pain, you know, it's just really, really hard to stand by. It is. And at the same time, most people will tell you that they feel unheard. One of the biggest complaints <laughs> in every systemic, you know, organization, whether it's a marriage or a school or, or a company, an organization, people will routinely complain about this lack of communication and this lack of being heard, truly heard, you know? Um, I, I, I think this is incredible. So- Absolutely. 
Um, how do you think that all of this is still relevant today? Because the show's been off the air, like what, two decades or something? Yeah, yeah. The last episode aired in 2001. So where are we finding this relevance today? That's a great so. question. And in many ways, it's the sort of thrust of our book because yes, you know, Fred is gone, unfortunately. The neighborhood is off the air, unfortunately. Uh, you can still find a few episodes floating around on the internet, but it's not syndicated. It, it really doesn't air on, on TV uh, in any regular way anymore. So it should. It should, I agree. <laughs> <laughs> so, but if it's not, and if it doesn't, then why do we care about the neighborhood? Why is it still important? Um, a couple of reasons. So the first is that we see evidence for what Fred did and what Fred taught everywhere now. So I'll give you just a really brief example um, from the book. There are countless more beyond this one. But uh, a couple of years ago, Google uh, was trying to figure out what makes a good boss. And mm -hmm. Google, like a lot of different companies, they made what I think is a reasonable assumption. They thought, look, the people who are the best programmers, we're gonna put them in charge because the people who know the most, the most stuff, they're gonna be the best bosses, which, you know, if you think about it, okay, that sort of makes sense. But Google, fortunately being Google, decided to test that assumption. And they did it with something they called Project Oxygen. And, and Project Oxygen analyzed 10,000 data points, things like, performance reviews and, and employee evaluations and exit interviews and things like that. And what they found was that the best bosses at Google, now technical expertise, it did matter. You know, content matters, absolutely. But among the things that mattered most for being a good boss, that actually ranked almost last. The other things that, you know, made a good boss were being a good listener, being yeah. someone who cares about your employees, who cares about other people's well-being. The people who worked at Google wanted all these qualities that Fred taught so well, these very human qualities that, you know, as an added bonus, can't be replaced by machines. And, you know, we see evidence of the tools for learning Fred taught being up to 10 times more predictive of children's success than test scores. We see the tools for learning Fred taught being basically universal job requirements. You know, the more mm -hmm. you have these, the more likely you are to be hired and be promoted and be successful. But most importantly, you know, when we help kids develop these tools, we're giving them the tools to succeed in their professional lives to be sure. But more importantly, and this was what Fred tried to do, I think we're giving kids tools to discover themselves, right? to discover what it is that intrigues them and what bothers them and what moves them and, and what ultimately brings them joy. Um, and we see so many people doing Fred-like things in some very, very modern ways. And, and they're keeping, these are the folks keeping the neighborhood relevant in the digital age. Um, people who are taking the lessons, the blueprints that Fred left us, and applying them in schools and museums and libraries and even in their own living rooms. And I, in many ways, they're keeping the neighborhood alive long after the show uh, has been off the air. And in many ways, they're doing it without even thinking about it in that right. way. A lot of the time we give people this book and they say, oh, I'm doing X, Y, Z thing. I'm doing these Fred-like things too. And Fred's point was always, of course you are. You know what it was like to be a child yourself. You know deep down what's right and what's best all of you can do a version of what I did. Could not agree more. 
uh, and why am I interviewing Ryan on this disability podcast? Because I think all of these lessons apply to our community as well as the community at large. And really, we need to stop putting kids with disabilities in a box. And we need to encourage their creativity and their learning in the same way that we encourage quote unquote typical kids. Um, and part of the lessons that you bring forth in your book, Brian, are all about the adults in the kids' lives, right? It's not, we're just teaching the kids. We're also teaching adults how to work with kids and how to love kids and how to include kids as full human beings who are part of our community rather than something to deal with or fix or, Absolutely. you know, what have you. So why I love this book, you know, number 152 is <laughs> that it is applicable to everybody. Right. Everybody. Earlier I said, you know, we don't hear that, that message often. I like you just the way you are. Well, who hears that probably less often than anyone else in the world? People in the disabled community, for sure. People who don't fit the mold of whatever community or society they're living in. Right. Fred refused to do that. He refused to make anyone feel less than. He refused to make anyone feel that they weren't a full member of the neighborhood that we all share. Mm. Um, there are so many stories that we've heard as we talk to folks around the country of, of kids who are nonverbal or kids who are in, uh, they aren't in typical, so quote unquote, typical classrooms. Right. Kids who really aren't interested in the media that's being created for most children. Right. And yet when Fred Rogers comes on the screen, they're all in. They're all in just like everybody else would be because Fred accepts everybody exactly as how he would accept anybody else. Um, I think anybody can pick up on that. And I think right. anybody can learn from that. Um, and I think that that's, you know, again, that's why I'm here talking to you. And that's why your podcast exists, I think, in the first place. Tell me about 143 Day. <laughs> so 143 Day, um, well, I don't want to talk about this in a too time bound way, but we're talking on May 24th. Uh, 143 Day was yesterday, this year. It's May 23rd. Yeah. May 23rd is the 143rd day of the year, most years, leap years excluded. But it comes from a Fred's code for I love you, which was 143. There's one letter in I, there's four letters in love, and there are three letters in you. And, I you know, Fred it. used, yeah, he used that code in all sorts of, of interesting ways. You'd see it come up again and again in the neighborhood. It was, it's Daniel Tiger's address, the neighborhood of make-believe. And, and it was actually Fred's weight for his entire life. He kept his weight firmly at 143. Oh my uh, 140, God. 143 pounds. Yeah. That shows you how intentional he really was. Again, Such in his a real scientist life. and mathematician and yeah. Everything. Everything is connected. Um. So 143 Day was first started here in Pennsylvania in 2019. It was uh, the governor declared it a sort of unofficial holiday. Really, it's a day of kindness. And it's a day of kindness, not just in the sense of being nice to one another, which is it's important and it's something we should all do. But being nice to someone, it doesn't change the world. True kindness changed the world. And what is true kindness? It's what we saw Fred doing. It's what we just talked about. It is accepting Everybody we meet, everybody in our communities, everybody in our schools, just 
the way they are. Now, it doesn't mean that we tell them that they're perfect. And it doesn't mean that we tell them that everything they think and do and say is great. It just means, again, that we don't reject anyone's humanity. You know, yeah. we don't make anybody feel less than. We don't make anybody feel that their appearance or their ability or their background or even their flaws. We make them feel that we can't make them feel that that stuff makes them feel unworthy of the neighborhood because Fred's ultimate message is that everybody is. And um, that's what one, four, three day tries to bring a little bit of that spirit into the world. And so Greg and I are calling, we want this to be our next national holiday. Um, It's a long shot, but uh, we're we're not going to give up on it. Well, I'm so excited to be talking to you on the heels of 143 Day. I noticed that and I was like, oh, I have to ask about that. <laughs> we, we were joking with somebody else that we talked to the other day who, uh, we also talked to them. Their podcast was coming out today on May 24th. And he said, well, what if we said, I love y'all day? That would be 144, the 144th day of the year. So today is, is happy 144 day. I'm happy okay. to be talking to you. I love y'all. <laughs> I love y'all too. <laughs> All right. I, I can't believe I'm already out of time. I still have other questions. I can't end without asking you, sure. what ultimately do you want us to take away from this book? What, what's the lesson, if there is one lesson? I think I know what I took out of it, but I want to know what, what you think we should be taking from it. Um, that's a great question. I think two things. The first is that, and we we touched on this a little bit earlier, the fact that Fred Rogers became Fred Rogers. Fred Rogers became Mr. Rogers through lots and lots of hard work. Mm -hmm. It is easy to sort of look at him and say, I could never be that. I could never do that, right? And it sort of lets us off the hook. Well, if we can't be Mr. Rogers, then, then we don't have to try. What I hope this book does, what I hope people take away from it, is show everyone who reads it that actually all of us can do a version of what Fred did. Fred was just a regular person, just like all of us. Fred had the same struggles. Sometimes Fred got angry or he experienced self-doubt. He wondered whether what he was doing even mattered. Right. Instead of throwing up his hands and saying, I, I can't do that, he committed. He said, I'm going to be the person children need me to be. And he left us the blueprints for doing that ourselves, each in our own way, right? I'm not saying everyone else needs to get up at 5 a.m. And, 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 and needs to go for a swim every morning and needs to answer 100 letters first thing, first thing in their day. Only that I hope people realize that being a good neighbor um, is not something that's effortless. It's not something that's just gonna happen because we want it to. It's something that really requires work and commitment and caring. And yet Fred knew that each of us are capable of that work and that commitment and and that caring. And my favorite compliment I've ever gotten on the book was from someone who, who told me this book, you know, it didn't even have to do with kids. He said, this book made me want to be a better person. Mm -hmm. And that meant so much to me because I know that if that person becomes a better person, whatever that happens to mean to him, then he will also become a better teacher. He will also become a better parent. He will also become a better neighbor. It will all become more Fred-like, each in our own way. Um, If our book can help 
people realize that and help people find their own way, their own path toward getting there, then I hope that uh, I think we'll have done done our job. Wow. That's such a cool note to end on. <laughs> and I, I should say I'm wait. still I'm still figuring out myself too. I don't want to hold myself up as as someone who's no, figured it out. It's a process, I mean, it's a lifelong that's, process. That's exactly it. Like what I took away from this was the message that this is something that you have to practice and that you have choices in life and that, you know, we are all part of this one big community called our neighborhood and that every person is important and contributes in their own way. And as the mom of someone who was considered in some places to be just furniture, like part of the time because she was so profoundly disabled, just experiencing that love flowing through the book and flowing through the show that she would have been accepted, that her life mattered. Can I ask your daughter's name? Elizabeth. Elizabeth. Yeah. And that, you know, we all are just here together. Like, it's so simple. It's really just very simple. And so that's what I took away. Well, I, I'm, I'm sure so she would be proud of, you... of what you're doing and, um, and your message. Thank you. Well, I'm proud of you. I know that's kind of a weird <laughs> thing to say. But well, Fred I'm... used to say it all the time. I'm so grateful that you wrote this book, you and Greg, and I look forward to meeting Greg someday too. Um, so appreciative that you came on the show today. Thank you so much for sharing your insights and all of your work. And I look forward to seeing what comes next. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure to talk to you. And uh, I, I'm just, I'm so grateful. Thank you. All right. Thank you so much, Ryan. And thank <laughs> no you to problem. my audience for listening. I really appreciate it. You got to run out and get this book. Hey, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. I just wanted to take a second to say how much I appreciate you taking the time to listen to these podcasts. I'm having a blast doing them, and I hope that you're finding the content to be what you were really hoping. If you are, please take a second to leave a rating and a review. It's so helpful in getting this content out to people who really need to hear it. Thank you so much.